Pope St. John Paul II said that discovering Christ always again and always more fully is the most wonderful adventure of our life. Blazing the Trail is a weekly conversation where we talk about this adventure with courage and hope while sharing stories about what the Holy Spirit is doing in Western Oregon and beyond. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail. I'm your host, Miriam Marston, and it's been amazing to have a chance to speak with so many different types of guests on this show as we keep going back to that great commission that Jesus left us with, to go and make disciples of all nations. And when you think about the scope of that commission, I mean, what he's really saying is you're going to go to the ends of the earth and share this good news and baptize as many as possible. So the earth is an enormous amount of ground to cover, and there are billions of people. So it makes sense that there is not just one manifestation or example of what evangelization could look like. We would never have been able to even begin to fulfill this commission if everyone were called to, for example, the exact same vocation. That's like saying, hey, we need to have a robust infrastructure in our country, and therefore everyone should train to be engineers and architects, so we have lots and lots of buildings that don't fall down. Well, sure, it's great to have sturdy buildings, but we'd have no art on the walls, no music in the elevators, no food in the cafeterias if there were not many others called to different jobs and states of life. And then there are those that we don't really see quite as much, but who play an essential role in this work of evangelization. They are the ones that, when things seem to be spinning out of control in the world, the rhythm of their life is not disrupted. Or when it feels like no one is listening to our prayers and our petitions, these people have never stopped praying, never stopped entrusting their daily lives and work to God. And I'm speaking here of the cloistered religious brothers and sisters among us. And I had a chance this week to speak with Sister Bede, who is a member of the Valley of Our Lady Monastery, which is a community of cloistered contemplative nuns in Wisconsin. And there is something in Sister Bede's story that captures the simplicity and steadiness about the form of consecrated life she would eventually join. And by simplicity, I certainly do not mean blindly following or, or something shallow. It's quite the opposite, actually. Just as the monastic tradition exemplifies that deep work of God at the very roots of the world, it seems, so does Sister Bede's story give a glimpse into how the Holy Spirit operates in the depths of one's soul, where the noise of our surroundings fades away and we're left in the stillness, face to face with God. And finally, there we can ask the question, are we happy? Are we unhappy? Either way, what are we going to do about it? Or rather, how are we going to entrust this entirely to God and let Him do something about it? So here is my conversation with Sister Bede, who reflects on how monastic life can be a radiant witness and a key player in the mission of evangelization. I'm joined today by Sister Bede, who is a member of the Valley of Our Lady Monastery, which is a community of cloistered contemplative nuns near Madison, Wisconsin. Sister Bede, it's lovely to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Well, Sister, I often mention to the guests on this show that I imagine they would not be here talking to me had they themselves not been evangelized somewhere, somehow along the way. So, Sister Bede, could you share a bit about how God captured your attention and ultimately captured your heart? What did that journey look like? 
Yes, um, I guess I would say that it was a very simple, slow growth in faith. There were no bright shining lights or major moments of conversion or reconversion. I would I would say I remember a few moments of learning things. Um, for instance, my grandmother teaching me to pray to my guardian angel, or the moment at mass I finally realized as a young child, I know the words of the creed. I know the words of the Our Father. I can participate in this. But mostly I think it was just the good example and influence of those around me, particularly beginning with my parents who just, you know, they were examples of living the gospel to my sister and me. Um, they taught us well, they disciplined us well, they loved us. I was just remembering a few weeks ago that whether it was my father or my mother who packed our lunch for school, they would always include a little note just saying, I love you, have a good day. And I thought that's the gospel lived in truth and something that that's just formed me, even though I might not remember specific incidents like that all the time. I think those all just added up to a formation in love, which is formation in Christ, which is evangelization. Um, I think there were also, you know, some particular moments that really planted the seeds of my religious vocation. For instance, um, we were homeschooled for four years. And during that time, we went to daily mass, which was an, an enormous blessing. We also were able to go to adoration. Our church, our parish had perpetual adoration. And I think over those years, I just grew in a personal relationship with our Lord. I didn't always want to go all the time or, you know, to the stations of the cross. My mother would bring us every Friday during Lent. And sometimes as a kid, I wanted to do something else. But I appreciate that my parents introduced me to that and really helped me grow in a life of prayer and faith over the years. That's beautiful to share. And, and I'm curious, where did you grow up, sister? What part of the country? I was born in Maine, but I grew up in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Um, okay, so then what happened? Let's look at the high school, like maybe college years. Something's there's a seed that's been planted, but clearly something is deepening. I'm curious, where did you first hear, for instance, of uh, of the Cistercians, and how did that religious uh, that call to religious life really start to take hold? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I had a sense even when I was a child and also in high school that God was calling me to religious life, but I never, ever, ever said a word about it to anyone. I've since checked with my mother and she said she suspected as well, but she didn't say anything either. Um, But I did go to a Christian high school where we had Catholic doctrine courses, we had courses in scripture, and I think just exposure to the beauty and richness of the faith and God's word helped deepen that sense that, you know, he really does love me and he might have something in particular in mind for me. But it really wasn't until I went to college that I started discerning per se. Um, I had intended to major in music and something else. I've been playing the violin since I was three years old. So I, music was a huge part of my life. So I went to Catholic U out in DC, planning to you know, be a music teacher or something like that. But within my first week there, I was dreadfully, dreadfully unhappy. So I went to the um, Basilica, the Crypt Church there on campus, and just had a conversation with our Lord and said, okay, what do you want me to do? 
And I don't remember, you know, the words I said in particular or how he responded in particular, but by the end of that few minutes of prayer, I knew he wanted me to be a religious sister. And I had a sense it was contemplative life as well. So I just started discerning. And again, you know, our Lord's blessing, he had brought me to Catholic U. I knew that was where he wanted me. And I had wonderful examples there as well. From those I knew just during the two years I spent there, at least 15 of us have entered religious life. So we were really supporting one another in our discernment. Um, Some of the young women I knew there taught me to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. We went to daily Mass together. So I just had, again, a beautiful support system that really helped me um, pursue discernment and say, okay, this is what God wants me to do. I learned about the monastery here in Wisconsin from a vision magazine. It's a magazine that has lots of information about different orders and a vocations director at a Benedictine monastery I visited just gave me a copy of it. So as I was flipping through the pages, I saw this little tiny black and white ad for this monastery. And I said, I think that's it. And I visited the monastery about a year later after some communication. And again, God just confirmed that sense with, a really deep peace and joy. So I withdrew from college after my sophomore year and entered the monastery. And he just continues to affirm that that love and that choice. Praise God. That's beautiful to be able to hear that call. And it sounds like it wasn't thunder and kind of these thunderous trumpets, but rather uh, found in the stillness of prayer and listening. So thank you for sharing that. I'm curious as some of our listeners might be less familiar with, uh, you know, we see um, a lot of the more kind of apostolic communities that are out in the world. Could you share a little bit about what's what's a day in the life of uh, a sister at the Valley of Our Lady? Yes, that's a great question, which we get a lot. People think, well, you pray all day, so does that mean you just sit in the chapel and don't do anything? But, right, right. Um, it's a very hidden life, but it's um, a really beautiful conduit, I think, of God's grace to all the world. So um, we rise every morning at 3.30 and begin our prayers 20 minutes later. So we, we gather seven times every day to pray together. We pray the Psalms in Latin with Gregorian chant. And then we have time for personal prayer as well and reading and study. But we also work very hard. We support ourselves by making altar breads. Um, Normally, pre-COVID, we used to ship about 13 million breads across the country, even as far as Australia every year. Now those numbers are down right now, but we're still supporting ourselves with that work. But we also maintain our house. We cook, we clean, we have to sew our own clothes, of course. Um, We do all those daily chores, but our goal is because everything we are and everything we do is consecrated to our Lord to make all of that, the work and the explicit prayer, a gift to him and uh, really a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to him and intercession for all those who need his help. That's beautiful. And how many are you at the monastery right now? There are 22 of us right now. Praise God. Um, You know, if there's someone listening, uh, you know, before we move on to my next questions, I'm just curious if there might be someone listening who might feel a little tug from the Holy Spirit 
to this kind of life, what might you tell maybe a young woman who feels like she might be called to religious life? I think the most important thing always in everything is to pray, to bring that little desire to our Lord and just talk with him honestly about it and see he always responds somehow, maybe not in the way we like, or maybe not the most clear way, but over time, he does let us know what his will is. And I think it's also important, like I mentioned, all the people I knew who were discerning really helped me and supported me to talk to others and to hear from others in their discernment, because often our Lord speaks to us through human mediators as well, fallen and sinful as we are, we do you know, share his love with each other. And so I think, you know, talking about it, visiting communities, just hearing from others helps us recognize what our Lord is saying in our hearts. Yeah, you're right. I, I say this a lot, but vocations aren't born in a vacuum. They really, that discernment doesn't happen in isolation. You're absolutely right. It, has happened, it happens in fellowship and community and friendship. Um, so thank you. For those who are just joining us, I'm speaking with Sister Bede, a member of the Valley of Our Lady Monastery, a community of cloistered contemplative nuns near Madison, Wisconsin. And Sister, that leads me to my next question to you, because one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is I know that you have a very special project in the works, and that is uh, to, to build a, a new monastery. I would love to hear more about this and also how this, uh, this work can be a witness of evangelization in our world. Yes, I think it's really a sign of hope that our Lord is still calling people to religious life, men and women, and particularly to the cloistered contemplative life, which is just a life of prayer. Um, especially since it's so hidden, it really is obvious that it's his work. We don't really know these monasteries exist until he calls us to investigate and say, well, I want you there and I want you praying for the world. Um, so that he still desires that after all these centuries, it's you know, been a tradition since the beginning of the church and it's still continuing, I think, speaks to God's love for us. And um, I do think, particularly right now, it's encouraging to know that he is he seems to be really blessing our work to build a new monastery. We've known for over 20 years that we need to move. Our founders came here in 1957 into what they thought would be just temporary housing, and we're still here, and it's still very temporary <laughs> and falling apart um, slowly oh. but surely. So, um, but just in the past year or so, the momentum has really picked up, which I find amazing when everything seemed to be on hold with COVID, we thought, well, what now? We finally seemed to be making progress and now we have to stop again. What is this, Lord? And I let him know my frustration. And actually people have been incredibly generous. We waited a little bit, wanted to see how everyone else was doing, but then we started asking people again and yeah. they've responded. And it's it almost seems like as everything else is falling apart or seems to be, this is a sign of stability and peace and hope for so many people and they believe that god's working through this so you know even though only a few thousand people are on our mailing list you know our family members our friends they know about us god wants this and he 
is working through our life to bring graces to the world, even to people who don't know we exist. And I just, I find that amazing and a real testament to God's love. That's beautiful. And uh, what, what goes into, I'm, I mean, there's a lot that goes into building a new monastery for sure. I'm sure, you know, I've been to the website uh, that you have all set up and it's it's beautifully done uh, seeing, you know, the images and blueprints and all of that. How, how to kind of balance that, that work of prayer with this tremendous work of building something? Um, How, how do you kind of keep that balance? Cause there's, uh, I imagine that Maybe just for me that that might be kind of difficult um, to be embarking on such a huge project, but still maintaining that rhythm of cloistered life. How do you find yourself balancing all of that? It's definitely a challenge. You're right. It's difficult. Um, we joke, you know, we follow the rule of St. Benedict and there's no mention in that rule of how to build a new monastery. <laughs> so um, I think there are a few lessons that I've been learning. Just I'm the one most involved in the fundraising. So I'm often the one talking with people on the phone a lot, even meeting with people in the parlors more than most of the other sisters. And I think what helps me the most is to realize this really is God's will. We've discerned it as a community. It's been tested over time. And so he gives the grace Um, this is the assignment he's given us as a community. He's given fundraising to me personally, but it's in obedience and he always blesses that and works through it for our best good. I think for our part, we strive to and have to make our prayer time the first priority, no matter how many phone calls come in, how many emails come in, we can't let that eat into the, at least the bare minimum of our prayer. And Really, our prayer together is both a privilege and a responsibility. I mean, I think of the people who would probably like to spend a lot of time in prayer and can't because of the responsibilities. But we have the responsibility to pray for them and for ourselves, of course, and for God's glory. But if we let that slip and let work overtake us, he won't continue to bless our efforts. So it's, it's both, you know, his blessing and his grace and our effort to really keep our priorities straight and never let the work overtake the prayer, even as we make the work itself a prayer and an offering to him. Um, sister, I'm curious, where else have you seen just during your own walk of faith and living out your vocation, <clears throat> excuse me, where else have you seen signs of hope and fruit and God at work um, around you? Well, I would say I, I also have the immense privilege of being the novice mistress for our community. So I get to work with the young women who come um, for their time of initial formation here. And I am always amazed at how similar and how different every single sister here is and her personal relationship with our Lord. So, you know, we all have to go through the same types of purifications, but their particular manifestations in each person's life is completely different. So I love just to see the way God works with each individual and see how, you know, he brings us through these trials by his grace so that we can be more fully united with him. So that's just an immense privilege for me to see 
day after day, sometimes, you know, I'm screaming to him in prayer, like, help, help, this is too much. She's suffering too much. I'm suffering too much. What can you do? And then the grace comes and it's just like a ray of light into the darkness. Um, I also see it, you know, in the prayer requests that we receive, people who are begging us to pray with them and for them. And every once in a while, we'll hear back from someone. You know, they were praying for a special intention and they say, it was granted and here's the story. Not often our Lord asks us to walk walk very much in faith and just trust that he's working through our prayers together, even if we don't see the fruits. But when we do hear a story like that, it just warms our hearts and gives us, you know, a, a better sense of how he does truly take our small offerings and turn them into something glorious. I love it. Um, and, and I, I think just it comes as a great comfort comfort and consolation i think to many people just knowing that there's a group of you that you're praying for them like that is your job and for so many who are swept up in busyness and distraction and uh so many ways of the world just knowing that you are there praying for them even even if we we kind of forget it or we we don't know in the moment you have not forgotten <laughs> that yes. work of prayer moves forward um and and i just think it's it comes as a as a consolation when we recall that uh, which is one of the reasons i i wanted to speak with you just to kind of get the word out and remind whoever needs to be reminded that they are they are being prayed for um and oh. that their intentions have not been forgotten so, you know, sister, I would, I would love to hear how, uh, you know, folks who might be listening, they might want to learn more about this work um, of building a new monastery. Where might they find more details and where they might be able to help out? Yes. Um, so we do have a website dedicated specifically to the new monastery, and that's build.valleyofourlady.org. Um, I'm sure if someone just goes to Google and types in Valley of Our Lady, that will come up as well. And we also have a community-specific website, but um, that's just valleyofourlady.org. So either of those would lead you to more information about the building project and how the various ways to participate. And the first one that we list is always please pray with and for us, because we really are in this together. Like you said, you know, people need to know that they're being prayed for and we appreciate the prayers of others too. We're all part of the same mystical body and working together. Amen. So true. And with the time left, uh, sister, I, I often ask guests if you could just leave us with a note of encouragement as people go about their day. Um, yeah. What might you say to someone who is just trying to continue to get through and persevere through these rather uh, trying times? Mm -hmm. I would say just. God is present in it all. You know, he is at work, even though we might not recognize what he's doing all of the time. Again, I, I tend to look at, you know, the fact that the monastic tradition is still here, still carrying on after all these centuries. The church has been through so much, so much. And our Lord is always faithful to us and gives us the grace we need, no matter what the trials are. And so I just reflect on that and marvel at his goodness, even in the midst of seeming complete darkness, 
there really is a light that will not be overcome. And that's the light of his love. And the more we can share that with one another and you know, let him work through our hearts in those simple ways that we all encounter every day, the more um, goodness and love there will be in the world and the more he can work with that, again, for his glory and for our good. Amen. Thank you, sister. Oh, thank you for coming on the show today. And uh, may God continue to bless your community and your beautiful work in service of the people of God. Uh, I do pray that this monastery project moves forward with great success indeed. So thank you so much. Thank you. May God bless you. God bless you. Sister Bede reflected on how, in the rule of St. Benedict, there's no instruction or guidance on how to build a new monastery, much less how to build one in a post-Christendom age in a time of global pandemic. But the work of God, while not unsympathetic to the plights of our present age, this work transcends our place and time in a way that points us always ahead to the heavenly Jerusalem, to that place which we cannot yet see and can only catch a glimpse here and there. No one who ever started work on a cathedral in the Middle Ages ever saw its completion. But the God who does see the end of all things and directs and orders all things for good for those who act according to his purpose, as we hear in Romans, that God cherishes us, inspires us, gives us courage and fortitude to always advance in truth, hope, and love. A number of times during this interview, Sister Bede mentioned that the mere fact that the monastic tradition is still here after all these centuries, enduring through cultural changes, revolutions, wars, political strife, natural disasters, through it all, these communities have persevered. And behind those four walls are men and women who have come together not out of a shared rejection of the world. If that were the case, they would not be bothered to pray for us. They would just kind of leave us behind and say, well, good luck with all of that. But it is precisely out of love for the world that they enter into a life of prayer and sacrifice. Is that not what we hear in the Gospel of John? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him might not perish, but might have eternal life. These cloistered communities are in this world to help remind us of the world to come, of that promise of eternal life. So my prayer for you all this week is simply this, that you recall that you are being prayed for, right now, in a place that we may never see, perhaps a place tucked away near Madison, Wisconsin, and prayed for by people we may never meet, at least on this side of heaven. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please join me next week as we continue to blaze a trail of hope in Western Oregon and beyond. Until then, my friends, please stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, produced through the studios of the Archdiocese of Portland. Join us in our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ across Western Oregon by visiting archdpdx.org.